And it's great to be back in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Um, my son Cody and I returned from a mission trip to India last night. And I'll be sharing plenty about the trip with you later. But for right now, let's go back to our theme passage. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all the diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you, that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. And we're going to be talking about adding virtue this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for each one who's here. We know that there's not a person in this room today by accident. We're here according to your purpose. We're here to hear from your word. We're here for the Holy Spirit to work in each of our lives. And so I pray that as we look at this passage today, that the Holy Spirit would go before us and open hearts, that our lives would be touched and that we would be reached through your word today. Be with the teen choir as they sing right now. Pray that you would empower them. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, young people, for that. I always enjoy hearing our teens sing. And Brother James uh, leading them, they always seem to have a North Carolina flair with their songs. And, and I, I just enjoy them so much. 
some of our life groups looked at the word virtue uh, during the first hour this morning. Its Greek root is used only four times in the entire New Testament. And without going too deeply into defining it here in this hour, let me tell you that its basic meaning is excellence. Some dictionaries uh, refer to quotes from decades and centuries ago to help show how a word has been used over time. And Robert Hitchens said this, borrowing a word uh, from the Bible. And I think this is in your notes. The notes, are, by the way, are in your bulletin if you like to follow along. It's, he said this, A virtue is like a city set upon a hill. It cannot be hid. And kind of after the Bible quote there. Excellence is always noticed by God. And sometimes it's noticed by people as well. Going back around 400 years, this quote is from Francis Bacon. Virtue is like precious odors, most fragrant when they are incensed or crushed. And people may appear to be excellent for a time, but then difficulties come into their lives and reveal them to be otherwise. When we talk about virtue or excellence today, we want to look at it based upon God's definitions and examples. Adding virtue is important for every believer. As we've started this series and gone into the year, and I realize last week we weren't talking about this, but the week before, we had all the ingredients that we're going to need to add to our faith. And we talked about how these Virtues are these things that we're adding to our faith are like a chorus coming forward. And they all come together. It's not like adding incrementally. It's adding all of it together. We're going to find out why this morning as we talk about virtue or excellence. And also, if you'll bear with me, it is midnight in India right now. And so my body is willing, uh, but my brain is weak. Uh, so be praying for me as we, as we go through the message. We're going to see it in four parts this morning, starting with reflected excellence. Reflected excellence. If you go with me to the great chapter of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, I want you to see this example that God gives to us of the first Bible character who exhibited faith. Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 4, once you get there. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Romans describes Jesus Christ as our righteousness. And so any virtue that we have answers to the virtue of God. We have no virtue on our own. The truth is what made Abel's sacrifice a more excellent sacrifice than Cain's. You may remember the first brothers in the Bible, Cain and Abel. And both of them brought a sacrifice before God. Cain brought of the fruit of the ground a token offering to God. Cain was self-willed. And he thought that God should be happy with Cain's virtue, with what he brought. And yet Abel brought an animal sacrifice. And by doing this, he confessed that he had no virtue on his own. That's why he's listed in Hebrews 11. He expressed faith that there would one day be a sacrifice to pay for his sins. I know it's going to blow your ego a little bit, but can I let you in on a secret? There is no excellence in humanity. Just like the moon has no light on its own, we have no excellence on our own. All excellence is reflected excellence. It is God's excellence being reflected on us. That's how we become lights to the world. We have no self-made virtue. Even the things that we think are righteous in our flesh, God says are like filthy rags before him. There's none righteous, no, not one. And so any virtue that we see is a reflection of the virtue of God. The Apostle Paul said this in a way in Philippians 3 that I think is going to blow your mind a little bit, even if you know the passage. Look at Philippians 3, Philippians chapter 3. And uh, I hope that if you uh, have a Bible, you'll turn there. And if you don't, try to look on with somebody because you want to see this 
passage here. We're going to look at just three verses. But as Paul describes to us here, God's excellence compared to human excellence, he does it in a a huge, breathtaking, contrasting way. Look with me to verse number 7, Philippians 3. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Look at verse number 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul abandoned every human righteousness so that he could have the excellency of Christ. Now, in verse number 8, you probably didn't notice this, and maybe you never thought about it, but we just read the worst word in the Bible. In verse number 8. It is the worst word anywhere in the Bible. It's right there in verse number 8. It's the Greek word, skubala. Now, in the King James Version, it's dung, excrement. You guys get the picture, right? I don't have to go into detail. It is an English curse word. This is a Greek curse word that Paul puts into the Bible. He's so plain with this. He says, I took everything that I thought was good, that I'd been living my entire life for, and called it scubala. I had been rejoicing my whole life in scubala. Look, look at back at verse number five. What's he talking about? Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, Scubala. Of the tribe of Benjamin, Scubala. And Hebrew of the Hebrews, Scubala. As touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Everything that he had thought he was supposed to live for, he now counted as what the Bible calls a horrible word. A horrible thing. And if we're not careful in the modern local church, we begin to rejoice in scubala. Now, I don't know if when you had little toddlers, if you ever did this, but I found this the most interesting thing. Um, Our son, Cody, when he was maybe um, 19, 20 months old, we used to sit, start sitting him on the toilet uh, to do his business. Because there comes a point where you don't really like to change those diapers, right? You guys remember this with your kids? Can we talk about this and you guys enjoy it today? It's kind of weird. I know it's strange. But do you remember the first time your little boy or your little girl actually did that business on the, on the potty like they were supposed to? You called grandma and grandpa. Guess what? <laughs> Cody just did a scoople on the toilet. You'll never believe it. It's the most amazing thing. He didn't do it in his diaper. He was a big boy. And all the while, little Cody's sitting there with the big grin. He did a scubula in the body. Right? And we're so excited. Now, it changes over time, doesn't it? I mean, if you're 25 years old, nobody's going to get excited when you do a scubula. Nobody's going to rejoice that you didn't have a diaper problem, okay? Um, It changes over time, and yet, in our Christianity, we sometimes rejoice in things that are not excellent with God. We rejoice in our own righteousness. It's called religion. We know how to come to church and do the handshake and look good and sing the song and the Bible, to carry the Bible and the Bible cover and all the different things that we have. And here's what the reminder is to us. Excellence can only be reflected. We don't have any on our own. Everything that we think is so good in ourselves is scubala. And if we're not careful, that's what we rejoice in. That's what we base our lives in. Most of the things that we live for, according to this passage are not excellent before God. Only He is excellent. 
um, Cody's almost 15 now, and he went with me to India. And uh, we were, uh, the other day, had a, an interesting interaction with some Indian folks. Pastor Banwell, who we went to be with, uh, his son is, is getting married next week, and he's 27 years old. And in India, they still do arranged marriages. And uh, so Pastor Banwell has arranged for his son to marry a girl, and we got to go and meet her. And we went, I think it was on Wednesday morning early, like 8 o'clock to her house. And they invited us in, and we took our shoes off and went in and sat down. And they always try to serve you something, and, and they were going to bring us some tea. But in the meantime, while they made the tea, they brought us bananas. And a pretty common thing there in that part of the world. And they gave us each a banana, and we... We opened them up and started to enjoy our bananas. For whatever reason, Cody's banana, he was having a tough time opening it. And so the bride's sister noticed this. And she looked, and she looked at him like as he's never had a banana before. She walks over to him and grabs his banana and shows him how to open the banana <laughs> and hands it back to him so that he can enjoy it. And so we're all in this learning process, right, uh, of what's going on. But, but a reflected excellence only comes through Christ. So we understand biblical virtue to be a reflected excellence. But then, not only is it a reflected excellence, it's also moral excellence. And with, this plays out in the scripture as well. While you're in this book, go to chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Philippians. Look at verse number 10. Philippians 1, verse number 10. Look what he says. That you may approve things that are excellent. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now look at verse number 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So he's describing moral virtue. I don't know of a human being in the Bible that exhibited virtue any more than Daniel the prophet. And I'd like to spend some time talking about Daniel as we go through the message today. And so we're going to go over there and actually be in the book of Daniel uh, quite a bit. So let's go to Daniel chapter 1. Later we'll look further into the book. Daniel is in the Old Testament right after the book of Ezekiel. Daniel was one of the Hebrew children that was taken in the Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem, when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took thousands of the young people out of the country and destroyed the temple and destroyed the city. Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8. And you've probably heard this before if you go to church much. And if you don't go to church much, that's great too, and we're glad to have you. And I, I want to explain what this verse means. Daniel 1, verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, when Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the dainties of this world, he exhibited a resolution in character that every believer in Christ should desire. We don't seek moral virtue to impress people. We don't seek moral virtue to gain eternal life or to gain some type of favor with God or because we're fearful of God's punishment if we don't. We seek moral virtue because we want to be like our Savior. We want to be like Him. And that is what true virtue is. It's wanting to be Jesus Christ. It's wanting to be like Him in every area of our lives. The hymn writer, Thomas Chisholm, wrote these words. And I, I've always loved this song. He said, Oh, to be like Thee, blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art, 
Come in thy sweetness. Come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. The next verse says this. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinners to find. Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Oh, to be like thee. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness. Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. See, moral excellence, we try to go about it sometimes in a way different than God intended. When we try to go about moral excellence just to be good, or just to keep the law, or just to turn over a new leaf, or just for whatever reason we come up with, we're not doing it as God intended. God intended moral excellence not to be a means to get to God, but to be a product of coming to God. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no moral virtue that will get you to God. It's a gift. But you know what the very next verse says in Ephesians 2.10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. If you've been to the cross and met Jesus Christ, you should have moral character. You should have virtue. Your word should be your bond. People should be able to trust you. You should be compassionate and full of love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit. And yet so many times I meet Christian people who are trying to get to virtue on their own. They think that because they have the name Christian that that means they're virtuous. Yet the Bible says to be like Christ is moral virtue. To be like our Redeemer is moral virtue. There's no way to get to excellence except by the truth of Jesus Christ. It's a reflected excellence. It's a moral excellence. But it's also an authentic excellence. Daniel showed authentic excellence or real virtue. See, your reputation is what people around you think you are. But your character is what God knows you are. Daniel was an example of excellence no matter who was in the room. He was real. By the way, you can fake spiritual virtue for a while. But the real you eventually shows up for everyone to see. Look at Daniel 5. And I want you to notice here what the heathen queen tells the heathen king. Now remember, this is a heathen queen talking to a heathen king. These people are hedonistic. They are uh, morally corrupt. They're under this assumption that they can do whatever they want, that they are the gods of the universe. And look what she said, verse number 11, Daniel 5. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Look at verse 12. For as much as an excellent spirit, and knowledge, and understanding, interpreting of dreams, and showing to hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts, were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. This is with King Belshazzar, who saw the handwriting on the wall. The very next king is a king named Darius in chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse number 3. Let's see what his opinion was of Daniel. Daniel 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, 
because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Daniel had authentic excellence. He was excellent in spirit. If I asked you this question today, who is the person you've been around in your life who you would say is excellent in spirit? Who's the most like Jesus Christ? Maybe you thought of somebody just now. For me, the person that I think, um, there's a lot of them that are excellent in spirit, even here in this room. But I always go back to uh, my high school camp director. His name was John Bishop. And John, I was around him a lot as a teenager. And no matter where he was, who he was with, what he did, he was excellent in spirit. He always had a smile on his face. He always uplifted people and edified people. He exhibited to me who Jesus Christ was. And I think it was maybe my first year of college, um, John acquired some type of meningitis, a viral or a bacterial meningitis, I can't remember. And his fever got so hot and so high that it destroyed part of his brain. And when he came out of this, he was probably in his early 40s at this time. Um, he couldn't walk. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. He couldn't even speak sentences. And, and they had to reteach him everything. And he can't drive a car. He, he can now ride a scooter. And he's in his 50s. But you know, he travels around to churches now. You know his ministry is called? God is so good ministries. God is so good ministries. And he, he goes around the nation and talks about how good God is. Even though he's been through this devastating disease, he's had his life totally turned around. He says God is good. He's authentic in God's excellence. You know, sometimes we meet people who they look really good on the outside, but they're hollow inside. And if we're not careful, we become like that. We become a shell that everybody really would love to be around, and then they get around us and they don't want to be around us anymore. Because we're not authentic in our excellence. Daniel was authentic in excellence. And even when the king turned on him and threw him in with the lions, he continued living in virtue. And that brings us to where I want to spend most of the time today because really this is what I think biblical virtue turns out to be. When you add it all up and you try to go through all the passages, I believe that this fourth thing really lays out for us what it is. Courageous excellence. Courageous excellence. Our excellence comes only through Christ. There's no more important virtue than showing and sharing Christ with others. I told you earlier that the Greek word for virtue is used only four times in the New Testament. One of those times is 1 Peter 2.9, where we find a different English word. Here's what the verse says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into light. You should show forth the praises. So it's the same Greek word as the word that's used for virtue. It's used four times in the New Testament. You should show forth the praises of him. And when we think about the meaning of virtue, and the English word here being praises, what it's saying is we are to show forth his excellence. We're to show forth the excellence of our creator, his virtue, his praises. You know, that takes great courage. It takes great courage to show forth God's excellence. You know, most people, I, I have to say the great majority of human beings, celebrate human excellence. You know, when people walk into the supermarket and they go to check out and they look at all the magazines right there, what are they admiring? Human excellence, right? Scubula. That's what they're admiring. 
airbrushed pictures of people. Not real, not authentic, complete, just a fiction of the imagination. Do you know that the people on those magazines don't even look like that? That they have trouble just like you do. In fact, they probably have more because they don't know Jesus Christ. And yet, so many people fall into the trap of reading Us Weekly and Entertainment Tonight or whatever it is, and looking at the blogs and the tweets and the Facebook so that they can see all the shell of what people live for. And, and I don't understand, I don't really get why it is. I know it's fact, but I don't know why it is that we admire human excellence so much. Why is it that we buy into it so often? Because that person drives this, or they live there, or they're in that neighborhood, or they work here, or he's got this job. And we buy into it over and over again. And we begin to think that there's some type of human excellence worth going after. And yet God reminds us, it's all just scubula. Without Christ, there's nothing really there. And here's what shows for me Daniel. Here he is, excellent in spirit. You say, of course he's excellent. He's the third in the kingdom. He's got a big job. He's a political figure. He's rich. He's got everything he could ever want. Of course he's going to be excellent. But yet, the most excellent time we remember about Daniel is when he was in a pit. He was in with a bunch of hungry lions. And we still see him being excellent. Look at Daniel. Chapter 6. If you don't know the story... The presidents who worked with Daniel, the politicians, got together and schemed. Can you imagine politicians scheming? It's far-fetched, I know. But they got together and they schemed of a way to bring Daniel down. And yet, you know what? They couldn't find a fault in him. He hadn't been married three times like Newt Gingrich. He hadn't worked for Bain Capital like Romney. He didn't have anything they could find. Nothing in the tabloids. When you Google Daniel's name, there was nothing but good. He was excellent. No matter what search engine you used, there was nothing on Daniel. And they said, you know, the only way we're going to get him is if we get him in the area of his God. We will bring him down with his own God. Look at Daniel 6. So they talked the king into doing this writing that the only one you could pray to is the king. Look at verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not, wherefore, king Darius signed the writing and the decree, and Darius played right in their hands. He was so self-inflated. He didn't mind if people prayed only to him. Even though he couldn't answer any of their prayers, he didn't mind if people did that. Do you know, by the way, in our human nature, we don't mind being exalted at all. Our human nature, full of pride, does not mind when people say nice things about us. Do you know, if there's any excellence in you, it's only because your God's excellent. Would you please remember that? Somebody, somebody says something nice about you, remember that next time. It's only because your God is excellent. And so Daniel, how did he respond? Verse number 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. And his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Courageous excellence. And of course, they threw him in the lion's den. And the king came the next morning and said, Daniel, are you still alive? You know, Daniel was still alive. He said, O king, verse 21, O king, live forever. My God has sent an angel and has shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocence was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. But you know, there's another story in the book of Daniel that I think displays virtue just as well. 
And it's one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all the Bible. It's in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel had some friends who were also taken captive out of Jerusalem. And their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you probably remember this story from Sunday school too. But if there is a place in the Bible where you see courageous excellence, here's where it is. And, and the king, Mr. Nezer, uh, for all those VeggieTale fans out there, um, how many of you know VeggieTales? All right. If you don't know VeggieTales, you don't have kids or grandkids. Um, and if you do have kids and grandkids and you don't know about VeggieTales, you need to get some VeggieTales. There's just nothing like Junior Asparagus. He's the dude. Uh, I like Junior Asparagus. But, um, but Mr. Nezer, the Nebuchadnezzar, had created this huge 90-foot statue, and everybody had to bow down to this image or else. And look at verse 16. Um, he had called them out and said, Listen, you get one more chance, boys. Bow to the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And that, my friends, is courageous excellence. Here's what he said. Here's what they said. No matter what you do, we're going to serve God. No matter what God does, we're going to serve God. That's huge, isn't it? Because what you're saying is, God, no matter what you do in my life, I'll serve you. No matter what the circumstance is, no matter the predicament, no matter the trouble, I will serve you. That takes some spiritual courage. It really does. And courageous excellence is that virtue that God wants us to add to our faith. When he says, add to your faith, virtue. It's courageous excellence. It's not our excellence, it's God's excellence. It's reflected. But we have to have the courage to do it. As I studied this word virtue, I came upon an interesting tidbit, tidbit as I was studying. The Romans used this same Greek word, arete, to describe their most valiant soldiers. Why? Here's why. They described them with arete because they had the courage to be excellent both in war and in peace. They didn't just look good on the parade ground. They looked good on the battlefield. They weren't just good in their uniform. They were good in the worst situations imaginable. Arete. Biblical, moral, courageous excellence. Do you know many God followers have virtue in their lives when times are good. When everyone likes them, when there's family unity, when everybody at church is getting along, they have moral excellence. But when the good times leave, so does their virtue. When the good times are gone, so is their moral excellence. Add to your faith virtue. Paul said it this way, in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's the excellence we're supposed to be looking toward. Excellence and virtue. Two weeks ago, we put the ingredients that accompany faith up on the table here in the front. And if you were here in that service, you may remember the ingredient we used for virtue. Salt. Salt. We said moral excellence 
is like salt because salt is pure and it purifies. Jesus said, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? See, if we lose our saltiness, if we lose our virtue, if we lose our testimony, our excellence in Christ, it's tough to get it back. If you've ever lost your testimony with somebody, it's tough to get it back. If you ever had a friend at work that you're trying to influence for Christ, and you hit your finger with the hammer in the shop, and you accidentally said scubula, it's tough to get that testimony back. See, God wants us to have pure, salty lives so that we can preserve those around us with courageous moral excellence. Cody and I just got back from India, and last Sunday morning, we left um, where we were staying at about 6 a.m., and we took about a four-hour drive, um, because everything takes forever to get to in India, just because of the roads and the traffic and the combination. Um, If you, those of you who have ever been in Asia, in any part of Asia, you can just imagine the roads just filled with cars and buses and cows and dogs and rickshaws and it's just unbelievable Um, we're going down what you could consider their best highway in India and as you're driving down the best highway in India there are goats walking down the side of it and then there's a cow and then there's a guy with straw on his head and so we traveled for about four hours we got to this village to go uh, to a church And uh, amazingly enough, all the people were already there. And we drove up, and the people were all outside of the church, standing there waiting for us in lines. And as soon as we got out of the car, they started cheering. And I immediately had kind of an envious thought, like, I wish that would happen every week at our church. (laughs) I don't care if you cheer, just, you know, if you could be on time. That's that's basically what... um, But they all cheered for us, and they put these special things on you, and you're the honored guest. And so we walked into the church, and we went up to the front, and we we sang some songs, and I have no idea what they were. (laughs) I have no idea what they said. Um, And Cody got to give a testimony, and and Pastor Banwell interpreted for him. And then I preached, and he interpreted for me. And everybody, that's another thing that you would not like, I don't think most of you. They sit on the floor for church. Um, yeah, on the floor. And they just all sit there. And I would say, okay, we're going to look at this next scripture. And as soon as I said the scripture, everybody's like doing a sword drill, turning in their Indian Bibles. And as soon as they get to it, I'm prepared, fully prepared to read the scripture like I normally do. And all of a sudden, some lady in the back starts reading it. And I thought, oh, wow, I don't know what's going on here. So every time I'd read a scripture, somebody from the audience would speak the scripture. Okay, I'm good with that. We can do that. And so we had a great service. And then we were going to do a baptism. And they'd been filling their baptistry tank um, all night. It's outdoors. It's a concrete tank. Um, The only problem was their concrete tank had a massive crack in it. And so as they filled it, the water went out. And so it was going out just about as fast as it was coming in. And they, by the time they ask these candidates all the questions, they ask them several questions before they can get baptized. Because you really have to be a Christ follower. They want to make sure you know what you're doing. And a baptism doesn't save you, but they want to make sure you're ready to follow Christ. And so these three folks, and, and I think they were all probably under 30, um, were going to be baptized. And uh, it's an honor for, for the guest person to do the baptism. And I was honored to do it. I I brought a change of clothes. I was already gung-ho to baptize. And Pastor Banwell said, Pastor Tony, don't get into the tank. I said, what? How am I going to baptize him? He said, you can stand behind the tank. Okay, we can do that. He said, in India, it's no problem if you don't baptize like in America. He says, no problem a lot. And... uh, Sometimes it's true, and sometimes it's not quite true. And 
And uh, so he said, in America, you take them back like this. He said, but you don't have to do that. It's no problem. We'll just have them sit in the tank and you push their head under. <laughs> okay. I'm down with that. And uh, so the water was, you know, dissipating. And uh, there was probably about that much water. And so the first person climbed in. And it was a young man, maybe 15 years old. And so I got ready and I did the, the, all the things that you say for a baptism. And he was ready and I pushed his head and he went right under. Great, wonderful. And the next lady, she was very... Um, agile as well and climbed right in and sat down and her body flexed and she went right under and the third person got in and they went under as well it was no big deal and right after that they said pastor we have prepared a meal for you which in India can be a very scary situation Um, but we went in and we we were very courageous There was some virtue involved in this. This was basically for Cody, his lion's den moment. Um, And maybe even the fiery furnace moment. Um, As he started to partake of the meal that they had prepared. I have no idea what it was. I really still don't. I know that it was very spicy and I was pulling bones out of my mouth. That's all I know. I know I did my very best to eat the whole thing. But as we finished eating, another pastor walked up with an elderly lady who was about 70 years old. And he had come, several pastors had come from other villages as soon as they got out of church to see Pastor Banuel. Because he's kind of their leader and he helps them. And they've started almost 500 churches in two states in southern India. And so there, by this time, probably 10 or 12 pastors there from around the city. And he brought this woman and he said, Pastor, she wants to be baptized too. But she wants to be baptized by the Americans, so we came here. I don't know if you know this is where this is going or not. Do you remember the leak in the tank? By this time, the water is about this high. Okay? This woman, God bless her, not very moldable. And uh, I said, Pastor Banuel, we may have a problem. I'm probably going to need to get in the tank because you go down the stairs and then there's a place where you could baptize like we do here. And I could get her under. There's that much water. I could get her under. No big deal. He said, no problem. You stand behind the tank. <laughs> I said, that could, it could be a problem. It's, I'm just thinking here it's going to be a problem. I mean, I know I'm tall and everything, but, but the tank is this high, and my arms are this long. And that woman doesn't look like her body's going to bend in half. He said, we had some water. I said, okay, we'll try. They tried to add water, and there was just as much water going out. It would have taken hours and hours to fill it back up. So she climbed to the tank, bless her heart. And they, they asked her all the questions. And I'm thinking, this could go very badly. This, this could be a bad situation. So she gets in the tank. She sits down like all the other people did. I did my, you know, all the stuff I'm supposed to say. And I start to take her under. And she didn't move. And I'm pushing on the top of her head like, Ma'am, I know we speak different languages, but your head has to go under the water. And so I start pushing her head, and I'm leveraged to the max. I'm pushing. I'm pushing. She's not getting closer to the water. Finally, I was pushing so far and so hard that my feet came off the ground. (laughs) And now I'm precariously balanced on the edge of the baptistry, still pushing. And now my feet go higher, and I'm still pushing. She's still not moving. So I start trying to push her back this way. I'm balanced on the edge, teetering precariously. And now the edge of the tank in the back, she can't, I can't get her in that way. So I'm trying to like sandwich her body with both hands to get her head under the water. 
I got her almost under the water. And we called it good. Because I was about to fall in head first into the shallow baptistry. And she climbed back out. And so that was, that was fun. And it was, but I, was, I stood there and I was just listening to all the pastors speak to each other. And of course I couldn't understand what they were saying unless Pastor Banwell interpreted. But they were talking to me about uh, just the struggles that some of their people face. Once they decide to be, become Christians, some of them are from Hindu families. And some of the militant Hindus are so opposed to Christianity and so opposed to God. It's some of the struggles that they face. And I was thinking, what courageous excellence it takes for these people to count everything in their lives, and they don't have any earthly goods, but to count all their attachments, all of their family connections, everything that society means to them, and say, you know what? It's all scuba. I'm going to serve Christ. And you know, if we could get just a small portion of that spirit here at Centennial Baptist, I believe God could do great things this year. I wish I could pick everybody up and we could charter a plane and go and take you all. I really do. I would tell you for the first two or three days, you'll be very tired. But <clears throat> I saw such courageous excellence in those people and in their faith and the way they followed God. And from the passages that we're reading, this salt that we're supposed to be to the world is the virtue we need to give. And when God says to us, add to your faith virtue. Combine the ingredients together. My question for you today would be this. Do you have the virtue of Jesus Christ in you? Are you showing Jesus Christ to the world around you? Are you excellent in how you serve God? Or do you serve God with the leftovers, with haphazardness? Do you tip God with your time and your life? And say, God, uh, here you go, you have this. Are you all in? Like I was baptizing the lady. I'm fully committed. Fall in or not, I got to get her under. You know, that's the way we have to be with our lives sometimes. We have to say, God, I'm all in. I don't know what's going to happen. But whether I'm in a good situation or I'm in the lion's den or the fiery furnace is standing right there, I will do what you want me to do. I will be excellent in Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer today. As we bow and